there. You have found your way to another edition of the CIAC cast, our every other week or roughly every other week discussion of the world of high school sports in the state of Connecticut. I am Joel Cookson, and I'm happy you've decided to spend a little time with us today talking and listening to uh, some great conversations about uh, the world of high school sports in Connecticut. We've got three guests coming up for you this week. Really excited uh, for conversations with these folks. We're going to start things off with a conversation, a little bit of a different conversation. We have a, uh, a friend of mine, Dr. Elizabeth Mattern, who is a psychiatrist. We're going to talk to her about uh, mental health issues for high school students, high school student athletes. I uh, thought it would be an interesting perspective. feel like this is a topic that's uh, kind of in the mainstream more and more uh, in, in today's world and, and thought it would be interesting to get a, an expert's perspective on it and, and some of the things she sees and deals with. And uh, hopefully it's a topic that might be, uh, might be relevant and, and, and might be helpful for some of our listeners, whether they're coaches, athletes, parents, anyone uh, sort of trying to navigate uh, some tricky issues around the world uh, of mental health. So really looking forward to that conversation. Dr. Mattern is a, is a good friend. It is a wonderful uh, wonderful professional, so really hoping uh, that that's going to be a good conversation. Then we're going to check in with Dan Nowak of the New Haven Register and Game Time CT. He's going to get us updated on what's happening in the field hockey season uh, with about a month to go here or so in the regular season heading into CIC tournaments. Going to get a check in with him on, uh, on what's going on there. And then uh, rounding things out for us, we got a first-time guest, another first-time guest, Sean McFarland from the Hartford Current. Uh, joined the Current uh, in this past spring and has been writing high school football for them this fall, doing a wonderful job. He wrote a great story uh, that I commend to everyone on the Enfield football team and their response to a tragedy in their midst. Uh, so we're going to talk to him about that story. And then just check in uh, and ask him some of the other things that have caught his attention uh, in the high school football season this year as well. So hoping uh, it's going to be three good conversations. As always, you can check out the CIAC cast uh, on our website, CIACsports.com. And uh, anywhere else you get your podcasts, whether that's uh, Apple Podcasts, Google uh, Play, uh, Stitcher as well. Lots of good places to get the CIAC cast. If you listen to us on, uh, on Apple Podcasts, hope you'll uh, subscribe rate us, leave us a review, subscribe wherever you listen. Uh, we would love to have you uh, get the podcast delivered to you automatically. That's the best way to do it. Then you don't have to worry about my occasionally random posting schedule. I think this is still on an every other week uh, schedule here. I've, I've, I've lost track. We were at a conference last week, but I believe that this is the, uh, the appropriate week. If not, we're only off by a week, so we've been uh, pretty good about maintaining our schedule so far this year. So check us out, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, lots of great places to get your uh, CIAC cast. You can also find us on the CIAC mobile app, which is uh, if you point your browser on your mobile device to CIACmobile.com, there's a link right there for the podcast, or you can always find us on CIACsports.com. We also, of course, share the link on, on our social media platforms, which are on Twitter. You can find us at CIAC Sports, on Instagram at CIAC Sports, Facebook.com slash CIAC Sports. Those are all the ways you can follow all the good things that are happening in the world of, uh, of the CIAC. So, before let's uh, get to our guests here, but before we do that, want to uh, quickly update you on things you might have missed on CIACsports.com, which is, of course, your home for all information about the CIAC. Uh, some good things there. First of all, of course, we just posted a, uh, a new edition of Linked Up, as we try to do every Friday. Some great stories in that one, uh, including a few that, uh, that might get mentioned in our, uh, in our conversations with some of our guests this week. So be sure to, uh, to check out the latest edition of Linked Up. 
if you're one of our uh, member schools or, or, or happen to uh, be an athlete or a coach for a member school, check out the registration for the CIAC Sportsmanship Conference. That's, uh, that link is now available on CIACsports.com, one of our biggest events of the year, one of our most popular events of the year. Great day of, uh, of leadership discussion, speakers, uh, sportsmanship discussion, and, uh, and workshops and things like that. So check that out. If you're a student interested, uh, talk to your athletic director, talk to your coach, uh, that let them know that you'd like to, uh, to attend that event. Uh, winter sports schedules for 2018-19 are now available on CICsports.com. If you want to start planning uh, ahead for the winter season, those schedules are now up uh, on CICsports.com. And a new feature we've been doing here as, uh, as our partnership with the NFHS Network has continued to grow. We've seen more and more schools now beginning to stream some of their live regular season games on the NFHS Network. So every Monday, we're highlighting a few games and what we're calling NFHS Network What to Watch. So be sure to check that out. Uh, we pick uh, roughly one game per day. Sometimes we'll, uh, we'll mix it up a little bit and do a, a couple more. But uh, generally one game per day, and we try to hit each of the fall sports uh, to give you something, uh, a, a wide variety of things to check out. Uh, over the coming week. So check that out every Monday. We try to get that up uh, pretty early in the morning so folks can, uh, can, can get their, their schedules ready to go. Uh, uh, a monthly subscription is just $9.99 to the NFHS network to, uh, to view all these regular season games. They're averaging now in Connecticut roughly uh, probably between 70 and 80 regular season contests every week that are now being live streamed. And, of course, they will be the official broadcast partner for the CIAC come tournament times. You'll get to see lots of tournament competition, including championships in a variety of sports uh, there as well. So you get that uh, monthly subscription, $9.99, and uh, it'll be well worth it for lots of live streaming content available to you on the NFHS network. Of course, always on CICsports.com, uh, you can check out Tournament Central, our, our subpage that has all the uh, information about the upcoming championships, including uh, uh, the, the dates, the times. Uh, well, we don't have times yet, but the dates, uh, current uh, rankings uh, for all of the divisions and all that good stuff. So check that out as well. And the uh, CIAC Singles Bowling Invitational is coming back for year four. There's information uh, for anyone interested in uh, participating in that event as well. So that's a lot of stuff on CIACsports.com. Hope you'll check it out. And, uh, and as I said, the podcast can be found there as well. So lots of good things to uh, discover on CIACsports.com. So before we get to our guests, I'm really looking forward, as I said, to talking to these folks. Hopefully it's going to be some good good discussions for everybody uh, heading into a, a busy weekend of fall sports competition. But we always like to tell folks, uh, remind them of our message from our friends at the Connecticut Department of Transportation. I'm just going to read this one this time. I'm not feeling, uh, not feeling very creative. not going to ad lib today. We're just going to uh, we'll go straight copy today. And uh, our friends at the Connecticut Department of Transportation remind us that drunk driving continues to take a terrible toll on the nation, claiming almost 10,000 lives each year. In 2011 alone, there were 9,878 fatalities on America's highways in which drunk drivers or motorcycle riders were involved. That works out to about an average of one fatality every 53 minutes. Athletes, fans, and families Please always designate a sober driver to stay safe on the road. That's good advice any time of the year, any day, any time. Sober drivers, designated drivers, critical for anyone out there uh, getting behind the wheel. So I uh, hope you'll take that message to heart from the Connecticut Department of Transportation. 
With that, let's get to our guests. As I said, three folks on tap this week. We're going to start off a little bit different, as I said. So uh, talking about some some sort of non-sports issues here, or at least uh, adjacent, sports-adjacent issues. We're going to get in touch with uh, a friend of mine, Dr. Elizabeth Mattern. She's going to talk to us about uh, mental health issues and challenges for high school students. I am very excited to have with us Dr. Elizabeth Mattern, who is a psychiatrist and uh, and has been kind enough to spend a little time uh, talking with me today about some issues uh, around uh, mental health and that may be impacting uh, high school students. So, uh, Dr. Mattern, thanks so much for joining me. Thank you so much for having me. Dr. Mattern, uh, let me, uh, I'll, I'm going to run through your credentials here just to, uh, to embarrass you as much as possible. But uh, she is uh, triple board certified with a subspecialty in child and adolescent psychiatry. So she is, uh, that's what uh, made me want to reach out to her, along with the fact that she's one of the nicest people I know and uh, is uh, accommodating my silliness today to, uh, to do this. So thank you for, uh, for agreeing to chat with me and talk about some of these things. That is very kind of you. Thanks for having me. All right, so I've got some questions here that we want to go through, and and like I said, this is sort of a different uh, a different topic for for my podcast. Usually, we're very sports specific, but I feel like this uh, this conversation around uh, mental health uh, challenges and issues has been become more and more prevalent, and certainly is one that's uh, that's relevant for high school students and high school athletes. So I'm curious, what are some of the unique mental health challenges that you find are kind of specific to, to high school students uh, that, that maybe uh, folks uh, could be aware of? So it's important for us to remember that um, what's going on in childhood development is a whole lot of normal growth and change. Mm-hmm. When we are born, one of the things I tell kids is, When you are born, you don't know how to do a lot of things. You don't pay attention very well. You get much better at paying attention as you get older. That's because that system is developing. Um, When you are born, you don't know how to ride a bike. You don't even have the ability to do that. You're not coordinated enough. Mm -hmm. You get better and better at that as you grow older. And so one of the things that we always want to think about when any person is experiencing symptoms, and a symptom is something that causes you distress. We want to think about, okay, well, why now? What's going on in your normal development, and why might this be something that would affect you? Right. And so for high school students, um, they are going through all of this course of normal development, and one of the things I will tell them is... I want them to know that the brain is the most important part of their body. It's incredibly unique. It's what makes you you. And so when we talk about the brain from person to person, it's not quite the same as talking about a broken bone or a stomach. Mm -hmm. It's a whole lot more individualized. That being said, there are certain things that I want your brain to be able to do. I want you to worry sometimes. For example, I want you to worry when you go to cross the street. I want that little worry switch to go on and say, gee, I really don't want to get hit by a car right now. So that you look both ways. And then you cross the street safely. This is evolution. This is a good thing that our brain does. (laughs) I don't ever want that worry switch to sort of, I think of it usually like a dimmer switch for a light switch. Mm Mm-hmm. And it can turn up higher or it can turn down lower. And I, I don't ever want it to be turning up too high or down too low at the wrong times. 
In other words, I don't want you to be so worried that you don't cross the street at all. Yeah. And I don't want you to not worry to the point that you just walk into traffic Mm -hmm. because that's not helpful either. (laughs) Right. And so what is tough about being an adolescent is that you're still figuring out kind of what is an appropriate level of feeling about different things because all of these things are new experiences. Mm -hmm. And so what adolescents don't always realize is what's normal or, or typical and what's not. For example, if you are a kid who has social anxiety, and, and being around other people makes you a little bit uncomfortable. It's important for you to know that, is this a symptom or is this part of who I am? Mm-hmm. Sometimes kids will say things like, I, I used to work with a kid years and years ago who said, I just don't like people. <laughs> and I said, okay, well, the thing is, is, this is what I know about you. When you go into the lunchroom and you, it's lunchtime at your high school. It's very busy and there's lots of people around. So you wait until there's pretty much nobody left in the cafeteria. And if the lunch lady is there still and she is still selling food, you go in and you buy something to eat and you eat lunch. Mm -hmm. If it hasn't cleared out, then you just don't eat lunch. When we get to a point where you eat lunch when you're hungry and you don't eat lunch when you're not hungry. And then you tell me, I still don't like being around people. I will say, okay, maybe you're just a guy who doesn't like to be around people. Yeah. <laughs> but right now it sounds to me like your anxiety, your worry switch is turned up a little bit too high and it's making decisions for you. Mm-hmm. What I want high school students to know and to have a good sense of is what's really me and what's sort of a symptom that might be getting in my way? Yeah. Because I want them to be able to make good decisions for themselves. Ah, no question. That's and so when it comes to any of these types of things, um, I think the biggest challenge for adolescents is they're at a time of figuring out who, who they are and who they want to be. And there can be some, some discrepancies. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's also true of that switch that tells us whether or not we did a good job um, or whether or not we feel good. Sometimes when, when we have a, a switch that kind of tells us, you know, am I, am I happy or am I sad or should I feel bad about something, it's important for us to have those switches. I always tell kids that if we think about how our body and our brain was designed, way back a long time ago when we were cave people, if you ate the last Bronto burger and the chief (laughs) wanted it, you needed to feel bad about that so that you apologized to the chief and brought him a nice, you know, fur or something so that he didn't kick you out of the village. (laughs) That was important. Yeah. (laughs) If you didn't learn that, (laughs) that was, you were going to be on your own. And so that doesn't mean that we want you to feel bad every time you eat. Mm -hmm. And what can happen with that switch is sometimes we don't always know, we don't always know the difference. And for adolescents in particular, they're still kind of figuring things out. It can be very difficult for them to know what's a symptom and what's just part of who I am. Yeah. 
No, that's uh, it's it's a lot to to process for for adults uh, and and certainly uh, uh, for for kids, as you say, who are still kind of discovering uh, who they are and and what's what's uh, typical. Uh, it, it's a big challenge. So, um, you know, obviously, we um, you know, you and I have talked about this uh, off air, so to speak. But I know that you know, obviously, our organization is is one that uh, promotes uh, student involvement and in, in student activities, whether that's sports or whether it's music or debate or whatever it might be, and, and being involved in a lot of things. But I know, uh, you know, there's certainly concerns that uh, perhaps, uh, you know, that, that kids are doing too much at times. And I'm just curious, you know, what kind of issues ha- have you seen uh, that may arise as sort of a result of involvement in, in too much or in, in just over-schedule or over-involvement uh, for, for high school students? Well, I think it's important for us to recognize that all of us are very overstimulated at this point in our society. Um, Based on how much things have changed, it's an example that I can give is um, just the advent of cell phones. Mm -hmm. Um, I was speaking with a girl the other day, and she had had a panic attack at school. And uh, she went into the bathroom, and she texted her mom at work. And her mom got the text, and her mom is at work, and she's trying to balance getting this text and what should we do and should I come pick you up. And all of that is something that would not have been possible when us as adults were growing up. Right. We would have sort of had to figure that out on our own. Yeah. What happens now with kids being in so many structured activities and also having so much access to adults all the time is that they're, they're not always doing so well at realizing that they are capable of solving their own problems. Mm-hmm. And because we're the adults who care about them, and when we see them in distress, our immediate thought is, how can I make this better for you? Yeah. <laughs> and so what happens is that kids are not having a lot of time where they're on their own and really have no access to adults and have to figure these things out on their own. And so when they are in a position where they have to figure something out on their own, they have a little bit less practice. Yeah. When it comes to having structured activities, that's not to say at all that that's a bad thing. I think what we want to make sure we do is that we're sensitive to the fact that kids don't have a lot of time where they are just having these interactions with one another where they have to kind of wing it and problem solve. And so while the adults are here, whether it be the coaches or the facilitators or what have you, that we sort of remind ourselves to take a step back and, and show the kids that we have confidence in you. You can figure this out. You can, you can come to your own conclusions. You can solve your own disputes. Yeah. Not only that, we want to recognize the amount of time that kids are engaged in some kind of purposeful activity, whether it be on a team or whether it be in some kind of um, club or group or even just all of the classes that they have. Mm -hmm. And during that time, they are constantly flooded with information, whether it be a text, whether they're online doing their homework, but there's ads and pop-ups and things all over the place. Um, That's a lot for our brains to process all the time. All of us need some downtime. We just need some time where we kind of have some quiet or have some some peace to just sort of be in our own skin and and 
process the whole day and figure things out. Yeah. I think both of those things are big challenges for kids now because they really, you know, if I think about when I was growing up, the phone rarely rang after 9 o'clock. That was considered rude. Yeah. Now telemarketers call us at 10.30. <laughs> yeah. That's actually and just me calling your house. I don't know if I told you that. <laughs> that's, just, that's just Joel just ch- Just checking in. Just checking in. <laughs> Sorry, go ahead. Would you like to uh, would you like to donate to whatever cause? Exactly. Or? And so all of these things are things that I think about with kids that they really um, they don't have a lot of time where they're just just kind of hanging out, so yeah. to speak. Um, what's great about their activities, though, is that it does give them other opportunities to really explore what might, what might I like to be? What am I good at? Mm-hmm. Um, and there are so many opportunities for kids to explore talents and creative ideas and leadership in ways that weren't possible for kids that when in earlier generations. And yeah. so there's always a balance of good and potentially problematic that we just have to navigate and, and manage the best we can. Yeah, no question. There's certainly, uh, and obviously, as I said, our organization, uh, you know, promotes these things and, and is, is very high on the benefits of them, but uh, keeping an eye on the on the potential downsides is certainly uh, certainly necessary and, and part of the reason that I wanted to, uh, to have this conversation with you. So, On that end, um, one thing that I have noticed with a lot of parents and a lot of um, adults when I speak is that one thing that we don't recognize is that kids don't have as much... Um, as much practice in tolerating distress as mm-hmm. many of us did when we were young. Yeah. And so when it, you know, even just an example, like if you had a panic attack or if you were upset about a test, you couldn't text your mom. It just wasn't an option. It just wasn't there. Yeah. And so you had to find a way to feel better. A lot of adults will find themselves very frustrated with the younger generation because they can be very affected by some of these types of problems. And I think what we have to recognize is not that they're weak or not that they're, you know, overreacting or any of those things, but they really don't have a lot of practice in processing these things on their own. Yeah. Um, And so little things that we can do sometimes, um, and coaches can be an excellent model for this, is kind of, okay, well, if I wasn't here, what would you do? Yeah. Um, you know, how would you solve this problem? How would you handle this? Um, I frequently tell people that that's not that dissimilar from when you are learning how to be a doctor. When you are a young doctor in the hospital, you have senior people above you. And if they're standing right there next to you, it's really easy to just say, hey, what do I do? How do I do this? I had a senior resident when I was a young intern who often left me to my own devices. And I realized I could page her, but maybe I can figure this out on my own, and then I did, and it made me a better doctor. Yeah. Sometimes as adults, we feel like we're abandoning our kids, but I want us to reframe that in our own minds of, actually, what I want you to know is that I'm showing confidence in you, and I want you to learn to have confidence in yourself. Yeah. 
Yeah, that's uh, that's it. It's interesting. You talk about the 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 coaching and and you know it's obviously we hear a lot. Uh, you know, coaching a new sort of generation of, of kids is has uh, has different challenges than than previous generations may have, and that certainly seems like uh, some good advice there. Um, without getting too specific, I'm just curious. You know, what 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 are kind of you know some of the issues that you find that you deal with the most, uh, you know, when it comes to adolescence and, and mental health challenges? You know, what are some of the, the typical, uh, or I guess most typical kinds of things that you're seeing um, in, in terms of challenges that, that maybe kids are facing these days? Mm-hmm. One of the biggest ones um, is attention problems. Um, ADHD, there's a lot of talk about why is ADHD being diagnosed so often now? Mm-hmm. Um, what it is really is not that we are overdiagnosing or that it's more prevalent now than it ever was, but that attention problems are actually really along a spectrum where you can have a small, you know, mild attention problem or you can have a very severe attention problem. Mm-hmm. When it comes to attention, attention is the most important thing in our brain that helps us with executive functioning. Executive functioning is anything that your brain needs to do in order to execute something. Execution is playing sports. Execution is writing an essay. Execution is me putting my coffee cup down on the table and then picking up my keys and going and unlocking a door. We need attention to help us to do those things. Your brain has to focus on what am I in the process of doing, what do I need to do next, how do I plan and organize that in my head. What happens is that the more we have to pay attention to, the harder it is for us to do it. Yeah. And as we talked about a little bit with the world being much more stimulating in general, we have a lot more that we are asking kids to pay attention to. When I was in kindergarten, I had a half day of kindergarten. We colored the letter A, we had apple slices, we probably even took a nap. Mm-hmm. Now in kindergarten, they have a full day, they have 20 minutes of recess, they start um, reading and writing right away in kindergarten, mm-hmm. they have 20 minutes of Spanish a day, they are writing essays. And, and, and I always laugh because our kids had to write persuasion essays last year. <laughs> they had to send home a letter in kindergarten um, persuading their parents to do something. Right. Um, and so that's a much higher level of attention than was ever required of us before at such a young age. Yeah. That is not to say that our kids are not capable of it. But what I always let folks know is that attention, no baby pays attention well, <laughs> and everyone gets better and better and better at it until they're about 25. Yeah. And that goes along with our ability to execute. A baby you would give, you know, um, a toddler, you might give those puzzles that have one big piece that go in. Yeah. And then a five-year-old, you might give a 20-piece puzzle. And a 10-year-old, you might give a 300-piece puzzle. And a teenager can do a 1,000-piece puzzle. We get more and more able to handle more complexity and pay attention to those things. But if you're a kid with an attention problem, and now you're a smart kid and you were able to compensate really well all through 
young grades, but now you're taking five AP classes, and you're doing a sport after school, and you're in the scouts, and you're also in a STEM club. Mm-hmm. That's a whole lot of stuff for your brain to pay attention to, and it's going to be a lot harder to, to execute all of those things. And so what people are finding is that, yes, I think our rates of, and actually this is, this is shown in the research, that our prevalence rates, the amount of people being diagnosed right now with ADHD is higher. But that's not to say that those were folks that wouldn't have been qualified for that diagnosis in the past. We're just we're seeing the result of it more often because we're asking more of everyone. Yeah. That's um, not such a horrible thing. Yeah. <laughs> um, it sounds like a horrible thing. <laughs> but um, what we want rec- to recognize is that our brains all have a, their unique challenges. What I tell folks about ADHD is that your, your attention cells are like a big grid of spotlights. And if you think about a football game, you have this big, huge grid of spotlights, and they're shining down on the football field. And they should be shining together. If you're a person with an attention problem, you have, you have some cells, some, some attention cells or some spotlights that start to go rogue. Mm-hmm. And they're looking around. And so you're sitting in the stands, and one of your attention cells is like, I smell popcorn. Is that popcorn over there? And then you see something else over in the stands, like, oh, is that one of my friends? And you're being kind of taken in different directions. Back in the caveman days, if everyone was paying attention to something in the center, like rock, football, whatever they played back then, mm-hmm. and everyone else was focused on that, but you were, your attention was sort of being drawn around and distracted, you were the only one who saw the saber-toothed tiger coming. And you warned the whole village, and you were a hero. People with attention problems often are the ones to think outside of the box, Mm -hmm. to have different creative ideas. And so they simply have different strengths and different weaknesses. And we don't always recognize how to maximize that instead of thinking of it simply as a weakness. Yeah. That segues also, and I'm sorry I talk so much. That's okay. (laughs) This is why I called you. (laughs) That segues into if we have certain expectations of folks, Um, And we are in a society that every day has kind of higher and higher expectations of everyone, that you may start to have secondary anxiety or depressive symptoms. If you're a person with an attention problem and you tend to um, overlook details, you may worry, oh, I'm going to get bad grade on my math test because I forgot to um, carry the X or I forgot to use the negative sign or or what have you. Mm Or it may be hard for you to, to sustain your attention on longer assignments. And so you start to struggle and you start to not be able to keep up with, with your homework assignments and you start to feel like you're just not as smart as the other kids. Those are what we call sort of secondary depressive or anxiety symptoms where a lot of your symptoms are coming from are stemming from problems that come from another primary source. In other words, if we were able to help you with your attention problem, the things that you worry about as a result of your attention problem would not be an issue. Mm -hmm. The other major things that we run into in adolescence are anxiety and depression. Mm -hmm. Any person that is susceptible to any kind of illness, whether it be 
a medical illness or a physical illness um, or a mental health issue, we are more likely to experience symptoms when, our, when we are under stress. Stress can be physical, like going through puberty. So I frequently, frequently see first episodes of anxiety or depression during puberty because the body is under an incredible amount of physical stress and growth and mm-hmm. hormones. Um, I will frequently see things um, when kids get run into some other kind of stressor, whether it be um, their family going through a major change like a divorce or maybe they have mono and they, their body is under a lot of stress. Or maybe it's just a whole lot of tiny stressors added up. When it comes to things like anxiety and depression, we need to remember that there's a large genetic component to this, that it's really no one's fault. Mm -hmm. There are things that we have control over, and there are things that we don't. So, for example, I always use the example of my mother having high cholesterol. Some folks have high cholesterol, and they go to their doctor, and their doctor says, okay, we want you to get up off the couch and get some exercise. We want you to not have any more fried food. We want you to, you know, eat a better diet. A lot of folks will then go back to the doctor, making those lifestyle changes, and their cholesterol will go down. Mm -hmm. And then there's folks like my mom, who takes really good care of herself, doesn't eat any of the stuff she's not supposed to eat, doesn't have shrimp. Shrimp has a lot of cholesterol. But her cholesterol is really high, (laughs) because so so was Aunt Gladys and Uncle Bert and everyone else who had cholesterol in our family, and that's just luck of the draw. Yeah. And so for her, she needs some medication to help her cholesterol go down. For mental health, it's the same type of process, where there's usually a couple of different components. One is genetic. Is it something that runs in your family, and how strongly does it run in your family? Mm -hmm. And another is, for example, how am I talking to myself? If I flunk a test and I tell myself, I'm so stupid, I'm the dumbest person on earth, I never should have even tried to take this class. That was such a dumb idea. Well, you're not making yourself feel a whole lot better. Yeah. That's not good exercise. <laughs> um, and so those are the types of things that we work on in therapy. How am I handling problems? How am I learning how to talk to myself? But sometimes if the problem is very significant or very genetically based, um, we can try all of the right things, all of the diet and exercise, but that's not going to fit the bill. Mm-hmm. And with every person, that's going to be a little bit different. Yeah. Um, we've talked a lot, you know, and I sort of um, have said, you know, feel like the, the conversation around these issues is becoming more public. Um, and then I've got a question about that in a little bit. But I'm curious, you know, and you'll see sort of this, uh, I feel like you, you sort of see this idea that, you know, maybe people who aren't struggling with mental health uh, issues or challenges, you know, they want to be able to help. Um, so I guess I'm curious, you know, from your perspective, what are, you know, some signs that peers or coaches or parents can can look for um, to suggest that someone may be struggling with some some challenges and, and sort of following that, what how can they help? What would they you sort of recommend uh, as sort of first steps maybe in, in those sorts of situations? Sure. Uh, one thing that we want to do is sort of never take for granted that anyone is fine. Um, we, we want, and I think our, our schools and our communities have really been trying to foster more of a supportive environment, more of a, a positive um, mantra of kind of, you know, kindness mm-hmm. and support one another and 
um, you know, fostering that kind of environment where it's okay to talk about things. Yeah. Um, we also are changing in that, as a society, we are starting to talk about these issues more and more often. And so what that tells kids is that it's okay if you're experiencing these kinds of things. It's okay for us to talk about it. It's not, it shouldn't be something that is considered a fault or a blame. Mm-hmm. Um, and back when a lot of us were growing up, that was definitely the case. We did not understand the brain nearly as well as we do now. Um, and we still have a long way to go because as opposed to other parts of the body, let's say a broken bone, we can do an x-ray, we can do surgery, we can look at the broken parts, we can put screws in, we can fix that and it's very concrete. Mm -hmm. The brain is so microscopic (laughs) in terms of the processes that we're looking at and that we're thinking at that it's hard for people to understand the differences um, because it's, it's not so obvious. Yeah. In terms of us supporting one another and supporting our, our students and our coaches. Um, one thing that we want to do is sort of recognize that we can be role models in talking about these things and recognizing also that this isn't just an issue for kids. Mm-hmm. Suicide rates have risen in every age group, in every demographic, every ethnicity, every sort of breakdown that you can think of Mm -hmm. across America. Stress levels are higher for many families, whether it be financial, whether it be in our communities, whether it be that a a hurricane has devastated your community. And so we are seeing much larger levels of, of stress and of difficulties across our communities. Mm-hmm. And it is not only in our teenagers or in our kids. And so the more that we can all together as adults even start to talk about this and how it affects us as adults, the better we can understand how to help our kids deal with all of these problems. Yeah. The major thing from a practical standpoint that we can do for our kids is to be supportive. All of our kids want to be good kids. They really do. Every kid gets up every day, and none of them are like, I'm going to be a bad guy today. (laughs) That's just not really how kids are wired. Mm -hmm. And what we want to remember is that every kid every day is really just trying to do their best. And sometimes they just don't know how to go about it. So the best we can do is be supportive and remind kids, I know you you're trying your best. I know you want to have a good day today. And that I'm here for you. Yeah. No, that's uh it's certainly uh t- taking to heart and uh and hopefully something that uh, that that is valuable uh advice for for those uh listening in. So I'll uh I've you've been very very kind with your time. I know you're very busy. I'll let you uh sort of end with um hopefully maybe an optimistic question, but um you know, you talked about all the 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 challenges both for adults and and for for adolescents for kids um i guess my question is you know do you feel and this is sort of anecdotal i know but do you feel like we are doing better around these topics whether it's you know those supportive environments in school or or increased conversation do you feel like we are making progress and and maybe how do we continue to make progress if that's the case we're definitely making progress um in terms of recognizing that 
these are challenges that people face. It's funny because a lot of parents are taken off guard. I spoke with a, a mom a while back who was like, you know, I found my daughter in elementary school, and she's on the playground, and she and her friends are talking about which medicine they take and what color it is, and, oh, I take this one, and you take that one. Mm-hmm. Um, and they were kids who, you know, were going through some attention problems or were, you know, dealing with some other things. Um, and the mom was kind of horrified in a way, and I said, well, we also want the kids to recognize that if I have a problem, I can solve it. Um, you know, if, if there's something that, if I had diabetes, I wouldn't feel bad about taking my insulin. Yeah. And so we want to recognize that what we're really doing is taking care of symptoms. And I think as, as a society, we're starting to really understand why we do the things that we do. Um, kids are, in some ways, leading the way of being able to talk to, this, talk to each other about these things. And some of my biggest proponents in my office for kids are their parents who say, I experienced symptoms like this when I was a kid, and it was awful and no one helped me. Yeah. And now I see my son or my daughter going through it, and I really, I really want to make sure that they don't deal with what I had to deal with. Mm-hmm. Um, we can make that a broader topic to even say, we don't just have to talk about that in my office. We can talk about that as a society that we can do better for our kids than we had to deal with. People pay attention to our children and help them grow up is really part of that whole thing where it takes a village. Mm -hmm. Um, There's more parents working, and, you know, the more my kids get older and I see that there are these coaches who take the time to invest in our kids and and look at them and say, hey, you're an an important person, Um, that really helps our kids feel like, I matter, you know, there's mm-hmm. people who bother to take this time with me and listen to what I have to say and help me get good at something. Yeah. Um, and it's really mainly volunteer. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's not my teacher who gets paid for this or that, but it's this, it's this neighbor down the street or my friend's dad who teaches me how to bat, who yep. teaches me how to throw. Um, and that is, that is so invaluable for the development of our kids to feel like important people in the world. I think on a, on a global scale, we are doing that. What worries me and what is something that parents should keep in mind is that the media is a mixed bag. Mm-hmm. Um, and while there are a lot of excellent websites out there that um, give a lot of really good information, there are also others that really promote the opposite. Um, you may have... I I will have parents come in and they have been exposed to information that was definitely false Mm -hmm. and sort of scared them from, scared them away from seeking treatment either for themselves or for their children. Yeah. Um, And so on a broader topic, one of the things that we're trying to teach our kids is what's a good source of information and what isn't. Sure. And it's important as adults that we recognize that as well, that you can't just Google things and, and be sure that that's accurate information. You want to make sure that you are, you are getting things from the appropriate sites. Yeah. Sometimes patients will report things, and because they're not doctors, they may say, well, I experienced this, and it was due to my depression, or mm-hmm. I experienced this, and it was due to my anxiety medication. But then you have 
more information and you realize that person had another condition as well or was taking another medication as well. And unbeknownst to them, that was what was causing the problem. Yeah. And so we get some dissemination of misinformation that can really affect whether or not people get the care that they need. And, yeah. and vice versa, we also have things out there that can really encourage people to, um, to talk to the right people. So making sure that we are always talking to one another about what good sources of information are and teaching our kids where to find that information is important as well. Yeah, no question. Well, hopefully uh, conversations like this one and, and the ones that, uh, you know, that we're seeing more and more in the, in the public sphere and, uh, and as you say, in our schools can, uh, can continue to help our kids. Dr. Mattern, I am uh, very, very grateful. I know uh, for our listeners, this is a little different, uh, different conversation and different topic. We'll, we'll get back with her to, uh, to break down the, the Red Sox postseason chances and how excited her family is about that on uh, our next phone call. But for this one, we are, uh, we are so grateful. Dr. Mattern, thank you for your time and, uh, and all your information and insight. It's, uh, it's greatly appreciated. Well, and it's greatly appreciated to know that um, there's organiz- organizations like yours that are thinking about the welfare of our kids and also paying attention to this topic. Thank you so much. Thanks so much to Dr. Mattern. She's a wonderful person, wonderful physician, a good friend, and uh, and hopefully that was a, a conversation that folks found uh, illuminating and helpful and uh, and informational. So we, uh, I know it's a little bit off uh, the beaten path for us here on the CIC cast, but thought uh, with with the issues uh, certainly in the forefront and, and being talked about more as we uh, we talked about in that conversation, but uh, thought it was one that might be worthwhile and, and helpful. Certainly a a critically important topic. Uh, in the world of high school and high school sports and beyond. So hope you uh, enjoyed that, and thanks, uh, great thanks to Dr. Mattern for uh, taking a few minutes to to chat with us. Changing gears here, we're going to get into the field hockey season. Getting on the phone now with uh, Dan Nowak of the New Haven Register, Game Time CT. He's going to keep us, uh, get us up to date on what's been happening on the field hockey fields around the state of Connecticut this season. Dan Nowak covers a uh, variety of sports for the New Haven Register and Game Time CT, but in the fall he is uh, mostly on the field hockey beat, a sport that we have not uh, have not hit on all that much here on uh, the CIC cast. So we wanted to get in touch with Dan and uh, and have him update us on the, some of the comings and goings in the field hockey season. Dan, thanks for being with us. Sure. Thanks, Joel. Appreciate it. Thanks for having me. Always good to talk with you. You uh, you do a wonderful job covering uh, covering things there, and uh, so let's dive into the field hockey season here. We're uh, you know now uh, a week or two into October. Uh, the the November uh, postseason is is starting to uh, to to look a little bit closer. So where are we now in terms of uh, of field hockey season and and some of the teams that have really stood out to you uh, thus far, and maybe that folks should have an eye on uh, going forward. Sure. I mean, uh, at this stage of the season. Uh the uh, the uh, top contenders kind of rise to the top here, and uh, things are starting to take shape for the postseason. Uh, it's it's uh, really interesting to see how many teams are really dominating out there. Yeah. Uh, start, starting with Class L, uh, uh, you know, you have to start with the FCAC teams. Uh, Staples, a two-time defending L champ, uh, mm-hmm. they're just rolling. They're eleven and zero. They had eight. They've had eight shutouts this year. Uh, they've outscored opponents seven, 70 to three. Uh, they're led by Ellie Fair and uh, midfielder uh, Kyle Kirby. Uh, they're they're really strong on both ends of the field. 
uh, you got them, and then you also have, you know, you've got Darian who's always up there. Uh, Darian uh, was runner-up last year and co-champs with Staples two years ago. Mm-hmm. And uh, you got Nukanen moving from M to L, which is going to make things even more more uh, interesting in, in that class. Yeah. And you also have Wilton, who's 10-1, and one, uh, uh, who's, uh, you know, another strong FCI team. But I tell you, there's one team out there I think people really got to keep an eye on. And that's Cheshire. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're ten and zero. They have nine shutouts. They've outscored opponents forty-four to one, and they are. I've seen them play like three times, and uh, they are dominating on both ends of the field. Uh, they're led on offense by Michaela Crowley and Annie Eddy, and their goalie Lexi Hemstock is one of the best uh, in the state, in my opinion. And uh, Jade Barnes is one of the top, you know, defenders in the state. So. They're deep, they're experienced, and I think Cheshire's going to make uh, a strong showing in the postseason as well. Very good. And uh, interesting, uh, if I'm not mistaken, uh, I, I believe, uh, and, and we're recording this on uh, Friday the 12th, I believe that uh, Wilton and Staples are set to square off in the regular season uh, the, this afternoon or evening. So that uh, should be one that, uh, that fans, uh, if you can find your way down to Fairfield County today, uh, you might want to check out uh, on the field hockey field. Yeah, a game like that, you know what I do is I, t- I tell youth, uh, youth field hockey coaches to bring their teams to those kind of games if they want to you know, see a clinic in action, Yeah, see some of the top players play. No question about it. What about, uh, what about Class M? Where, uh, where are some teams that uh, you've got your eye on there? Well, in Class M, I think it's kind of wide open uh, with New Canaan moving up to Class L this year. Mm-hmm. And uh, to, be, to be honest with you, uh, I'm, I'm looking at uh, some SCC teams that are, you know, looking to dominate here. Of course, you have defending on the champ a hand. Uh, they lost a lot of uh, players to graduation, and uh, they lost Taylor Lucky to uh, prep school. But uh, they're, they're deep as usual. Uh, they have a great feeder program there in uh, Madison. They're led by uh, Erickson Richard, one of the top uh, offensive players in the area. And on uh, uh, offense, uh, uh, Jackie Sando is uh, also another uh Top player. Mm-hmm. Guilford, though, is, uh, you know, like Cheshire and L. Guilford is a team to keep an eye on in, in, in the SEC. They are on a roll. After losing uh, their season opener to uh, Stonington, they've gone 9 0 1 with six shutouts. They're outscoring opponents 43 9. And it's another team. Uh, Kitty Palmer's got that team uh, really rolling uh, on both ends of the field. Uh, and uh, you know, Brantford, I think you have to look at, too. I mean, they're always up there. But uh, as far as the north, uh, Suffield, uh, 9-1-0-1, and Avon, 6-1 up in north. They're always, uh, you know, competitive in the postseason. And you also got Pomparag at 9-1-2 and, and East Lime at 7-1-0-1. So, I mean, I think it's kind of wide open. Uh, but I think those SEC teams are going to go on a deep run. Yeah, no, as you say, uh, the, the shifting uh, nature of some of these, uh, you know, divisions can sometimes uh, change the landscape a little bit, and uh, it does look uh, uh, a little wide open there uh, in Class M. But and, I think, uh, you know, Joe, I think that's a good thing, though, because I think it really opens things up and makes things really interesting in the postseason. No question about it, and uh, I know uh, as I, I'll keep interjecting with some things that other fans can find here, but the uh, this edition, uh, this Friday's edition of Linked Up um, included a story on, uh, on that Suffield field hockey team from the Hartford Current if uh, if folks want to uh, read up on that as well. So lots of good information right. uh, from Dan and others about uh, the, the landscape of field hockey uh, uh, heading, uh, as we say, sort of heading towards that postseason. What about Class S, Dan? Who are some of the teams that you're, uh, you're, you're keeping your eyes out for? Well, that's another, that's another cl- Class S always is uh, interesting. It's always wide open. I mean, you have so many teams that historic. 
historically, I mean, uh, kind of like alternate going on deep runs. Uh, yeah. This year, the team to watch is immaculate. They're 12-0, eight shutouts. They're outscoring opponents 54-4. to They're deep on both ends uh, of the field. Uh, led on, on defense by Madison Hallis, who's probably one of the you know top defenders in that class, and uh, goalie their goalie Lauren Oscom is another uh, uh, top player there. Uh, then of course you got the, you know the two shoreline teams who are always competitive. Uh, you got defending champ uh, North Brantford, six two six two zero and one, and they're led by Amy Rocci, who was last year's uh, shoreline player of the year. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, you got Westbrook. Uh, Another strong team uh, led by uh, Lexi Kopolis and Avery Bauman uh, on offense. Uh, they're they're rolling at eight one and one. Of course, got the uh, you know the the usual uh, 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 teams out there who always go on uh, good runs, and that's Granby. Granby's ten and zero with eight shutouts. Uh, yep. they've outscored opponents thirty and two, and you know Stonington uh, is ten zero and one with with uh, five shutouts. They're pretty tough too. But the but the thing is that one of the Friends here. I mean, I don't know if you're following here, but I mean, the, the, these teams are dominating on both ends of the field. <laughs> yeah, they're allowing few goals and scoring a lot. So I mean, that's what's going to make uh, uh, Class S interesting. I think. Yeah, no question. You see some of these, uh, some of these, uh, and you mentioned um, Staples' sort of uh, impressive dominance. But yeah, you look through these uh, the schedules and results and see all these shutouts and high, you know, and high scores from these teams. And yeah, you sort of uh, wonder what's going to happen when they square off with each other. Uh, uh, what's going right. to give? Is it going to be the the defense or those high powered uh, high powered offenses? So. Um, You've given us uh, a good handful of teams uh, that, that have sort of intrigued you and impressed you so far this year. I'm curious, Dan, as you've been out on the beats, uh, what uh, what are some stories that have kind of jumped out at you? Any kind of interesting uh, interesting things that you've uh, had a chance to write about or, or cover that uh, that you think folks would uh, would appreciate knowing? Sure. I mean, uh, actually, I mean, when it, when you get down to you know when, when it comes to all these teams that are having all all this all these uh, successes, I mean. Uh, you got to give uh, credit where credit is due with a lot of these coaches uh, sure. that are really uh, w- working hard to get their teams prepared for every game. And uh, one one of the uh, one of the coaches that uh, I've uh, been impressed with is Pete Fry who, uh, at Brantford. Uh, mm-hmm. I've done a couple stories on uh, him and their team. Uh, he took over for uh, legendary coach uh, Kathy McGurk, who was there for forty years and. Uh, Brantford hasn't missed a uh, beat with uh, Pete Fry. Uh, they're eight-two, one and one. Uh, they're uh, strong on both ends of the field, and he's got them rolling too. So I mean, uh, you know, uh, you know, usually when you get a new coach in there, you know, you don't know what to expect, but uh, you know, they're they're rolling uh, with him. Yeah, no, that's uh, particularly as you say, one who's been there, the a coaching legend. Uh, when you're replacing someone like that, it's always a question of uh, of of what. Uh, you know what? What direction things might go? So it's interesting to see the the program continuing yeah, well, to told, thrive. He told me a few a few weeks ago the most nervous he was is uh, in that first game that he had uh, against Lyman Hall, and uh, he wanted to get that first win under his belt, and uh, they they won three nothing, and they just uh, kind of uh, took it from there. <laughs> yeah, no, no question. Certainly, uh, don't want to uh, lose that first one and start getting a lot of uh, a lot of questions <laughs> that, that might start to surface. Uh, any other uh, things that have caught your eye uh, uh, so yeah, far this year? One other thing uh, at Wilton. Uh, I mean, the FCAC. Uh, you know, they've got they've they have a long history of having a lot of great players. But uh, this girl Emma uh, Rothkoff uh, set a school record uh, recently uh, by scoring uh, twenty eight her twenty eighth goal. Wow. Setting a school new school record at Wilton, which says something, because you know Wilton's had a lot of uh, you know great players over the years, 
and uh, she's kind of setting herself apart uh, w- with uh, her dominance on that end of the field. So, I mean, you know, you got, you got uh, you know, little stories, uh, you know, sh- taking shape at this point of the season, uh, which uh, always seems to happen and, uh, you know, kind of leads up to the postseason and the interesting tournaments that are coming up. No question about it. We are uh, are looking forward to it. Uh, as you say, it looks like some uh, some dominant teams that are going to uh, uh, eventually have to run into each other in some postseason games with a lot on the line. So that's going to be uh, very very interesting to watch. And we know that uh, you will be on hand to uh, to track uh, track it for us. So Dan, we uh, we appreciate the check in, doing a great job keeping tabs on what's happening in the world of field hockey. So uh, keep it up. Enjoy the rest of the fall. And uh, thanks so much for joining us. Thanks, I appreciate it. And, uh, you know, go on and get to see some of these games, and uh, you'll be impressed. Thanks to Dan. Haven't talked to Dan in a little while. That was nice to get uh, him back on the phone. Does a great job for the register covering a variety of sports and, and then got that field hockey beat covered in the fall and does a wonderful job there keeping tabs on all the great teams and stories that are going on uh, in that sport around the state of Connecticut. Let's wrap it up now. Our third and final guest. Uh, looking forward to this conversation a lot. He's a, a new, relatively new writer for the Hartford Current, Sean McFarland. We're going to get on the phone with him, talk about some stories he's covered and written about in the high school football season this year. Very happy to be joined by a first-time CIAC cast guest and someone uh, relatively new to the high school sports landscape in uh, Connecticut, Sean McFarland of the uh, Hartford Current. Sean, thanks so much for joining us. Joel, thanks for having me. Very excited to have you for uh, for fans of the current and high school sports. Have seen Sean, uh, believe came to the area just at the tail end of the spring high school sports season, and now has uh, has jumped in with both feet to the high school football beat uh, in for the current. So wanted to start off. You wrote a story recently, Sean, that uh, that certainly got a lot of attention and deservedly so uh, about the Enfield football team and their sort of response to uh, the tragic loss of one of their teammates. Um, just talk a little bit, I guess, uh, about that story and, and what you sort of wanted to, uh, to portray and, uh, and, you know, what you wanted to share with that story um, if, if folks aren't familiar with it. Yeah, you know, I think the big thing was, um, you know, just talking with, you know, the coaches and the players was there was so much negative, negative you know, news circling around Enfield that week just because of such a, you know, horrifically sad event where you have a teenager getting you know, stabbed to death on a Monday morning. You know, that's a, you know, it was bad for the town. It was horrible for the state. And, you know, I think even talking with one of our reporters, Michaela Porter, who covered that, you know, event from the news side, she mm-hmm. said, you know, you know, Enfield needed this, needed a positive story. So you know, I kind of thought heading into, you know, going to their practices that week and talking with players and coaches was just that, you know, there was a positive angle out of this, was that they were using Justin's death as a, a rallying point, a motivational point, you know. I talked with so many of their players, and they said, you know, the best part about it all was coming out to the football practice in the, the day and having that release, having that escape from what was going on. And, you know, I think they kind of used that as a way to rally. You know, they had his jersey on the sideline for the uh, first two games afterwards, and they brought it out to the coin toss. Mm-hmm. Um, they played against Hall in the first game since his death and, you know, won on a big comeback with, I think, 20 seconds left. And then almost did it again, you know, the next week against Connard, too. So, you know, you just kind of, you know, saw what this team of high school kids, you know, took away from the death of one of their teammates, which, you know, no one is able to cope with easily. But these sure. are high schoolers, and they found a way to not give up, not let it run them down, but use it as a rallying point, which I think is, 
a special story, not something you see every day, especially at the high school level. So I wanted to tell that story, that story of, you know, getting back on your feet and not and not giving up. That was the big angle, you know, talking to Coach Coach Liver. I think something he said was, you know, you know, oftentimes, you know, the easiest way off the easiest option and the easiest way out isn't the right decision. And, you know, that kind of was their mantra, I think, was, you know, the hard route might have been powering through it, but I think they used Justin and his memory as a way to power them through that. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I'm curious sort of just in, in terms of your approach. You know, obviously, um, you know, you're dealing with high school kids, and this is, a, you know, a delicate and obviously incredibly emotional um you know, thing for them and still very raw, you know, what is your, just as a writer, I'm curious, you know, what's your approach when you're getting ready to write a story like that or try to do the interviews where obviously, you know, I'm sure the last thing you want to do is to make this worse, you know, for these kids to have to kind of talk about this stuff. I'm just curious kind of what your, what your approach was and, and how you wanted to sort of handle uh, talking to the kids in particular, but obviously the, the kids and the coaching staff and, and everyone around that team. Right, yeah, it, it, it's tough. Uh, you know, the first thing I did was I told Coach Lively was, hey, you know, this is a positive story. This isn't, I'm not looking for new details about the event. I'm not, you know, trying to break news over here. I'm trying to find a positive story out of this, which I think kind of helps, you know, Liver and the school kind of let us guard down a little bit because, yeah. you know, I wasn't out here trying to create more negative spins on this. I kind of told them, I was like, you know, if, if no one wants to talk, I'm not going to force it. I'm not going to push it. You know, I'm, my job isn't to you know force high schoolers to talk about tragic events. You know, I yeah. said, but I would love to. You know, I think there's a great story here. Um, I think, you know, a lot of good can come out of the story if you give me the opportunity to. And you know, I got to really tip my cap to Coach Liver and the athletic department. And they kind of said, you know what? Sure. Now I think Liver had his few captains lined up and kind of prepped them on it. But you know, just talking with them was kind of going into it easily, you know, I didn't really, you know, you don't want to start out with these, you know, incredibly hard-hitting questions, but I kind of talked about, you know, how's the season going, I think at the time they were 3-0, so we talked about that for a little bit, mm-hmm. you know, it kind of relaxes them, I think, you know, it, I think for high school, you don't know what you're getting into when you're going into an interview with someone yeah. who wants to talk about, you know, your teammate who was just killed, you know, it, it's a tough situation for them, it's a tough situation for me, too, you know, I'm, you know, you don't have this deep connection with these high schoolers, so it's kind of tough to bring up this incredibly emotional subject, but uh, it, to their credit, uh, the captains, Freddie Santrella, Andrew Diaz, and Cam LeBlanc, they were incredibly great to talk to, they were open, they were well-spoken, you know, they they really, you know, I think they spoke for the entire team when I interviewed them, it was sort of this really heartfelt and thoughtful answers to my questions, and just the way they handle themselves, you know, you wouldn't think they were seniors in high school. You know, they just had this poise to them in the face and the wake of, you know, this horrible tragedy. And I think that, that really helped, helped me because I wasn't having to, you know, sit there and kind of, you know, not force out answers. But I didn't have to – there wasn't an awkward spot for me because they made it easy and they were so open and willing to answer my questions. And, and the same with Coach Liver, too. He was – another great person I talked to for the story. Um, so I, I got to credit them and the school for allowing me the opportunity to do, to do so. You know, it, it could have been easy for them to say, hey, you know, it, this is too tough. You know, we don't want to keep talking about this. And it could have been shut down. But they, they gave me the opportunity to write it. You know, that's uh, 
that's half the battle. So I, uh, I definitely got to tip my cap to them on this one. Yeah, no, no question. And, and you know, like you said, it's a. Uh, uh, obviously, it's it's a circumstance that nobody wants to to be in, but you, you'll see sort of the 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 good that can come out of you know people dealing with these horrible uh, horrible circumstances, and and you definitely see that in the story. So I uh, I commend everybody to uh, to take a look, and and uh, you'll you'll certainly become a fan, I think, of the Enfield football team uh, if you weren't already. Uh, this season, so uh, we'll, we want to, uh, when we have you here, kind of uh, you know dive into a little bit of uh, the high school football season here. This has been your first uh, your first fall covering um, the high school football beat in uh, in Hartford and in that area. I'm just curious, what is um, obviously along with this story about infield, but what are some of the other things that have kind of jumped out at you, or uh, whether it's teams or stories or players uh, that that have sort of stood out in your uh, your first uh, go round with the high school football season in Connecticut. Yeah, you know, I think the one thing that really jumped out to me is, is how deep the area is as far as talent. Um, you know, everyone knows, you know, Southington is a powerhouse, but, you know, you can go from Class Double L to Class S and find powerhouse schools from, you know, East Hartford and Double L, you know, Maloney, Middletown, L, M, Berlin's having an amazing season. Mm-hmm. You move down to S and Bloomfield's also having an amazing season. So I think that's the one big thing that's really stuck out to me and, I think made my life easier from a from a reporting standpoint is the fact that there are so many talented teams in the Hartford area alone, you know, and that's without even looking at you know the FCAC schools down south and the Darians and the New Canaan, you know. So right. I think uh, I think there's been there's so much talent and deep teams up in this Hartford area. Um, but as far as players, um, you know, the one guy that's really amazed me most is Raekwon Thompson, the East Hartford quarterback. Um, you know, kids five seven. 190, you know, built like a bowling ball. Yeah. And he's been one of the most exciting players to watch all season. Um, it seems like he can go off for six or seven touchdowns any game, you know, three passing, three rushing. You know, he had a punt return touchdown earlier, earlier this season. You know, it just seems like he can kind of do everything for that East Hartford team. And, uh, you know, he's a great kid. I, one of our columnists, Mike Anthony, I wrote a column on him last week that, you know, he – He's a dancer, he's a singer, um, he works 20 hours a week, and, you know, on Friday night, he's one of the best players in the state, and I think that's a fascinating a fascinating story. But he's, he's one of the kids that's really, really jumped out to me as one of the standouts. But, uh, you know, also, down at Sheehan, Terrence Bogan, the running back, he's been mm-hmm. putting up incredible numbers. Um, you know, a few years ago, Zach Davis from Sheehan had that insane, you know, I think it was a 4,000-yard rushing season, yeah. and now... You know, Terrence is already, you know, on his way to doing something like that as a junior. He's a, he's a I think, a Class class M or Class L champion in the 100-meter dash, and, you know, he's showing that speed in the field this year. Um, he had something ridiculous, like 600 rushing yards through his first three games, and, you know, um, that Sheehan team's really being propelled by, you know, him on the ground, and it's uh, another guy that's just, you know, just showcasing talent in this area alone. Yeah. Any uh, any memorable games that have uh, that have stood out with you through? Uh, I guess we're you know now probably about halfway through the the season. Uh, any games that kind of stand out just from uh, from having the to to be in attendance to cover uh, so far in your your first go round with uh, high school football? Yeah, the big one so far was last Friday the uh, Southington New Britain game. Mm-hmm. Um, New Britain had Southington on the ropes the entire game. I think they led eighteen to seven at halftime and held that lead going into the fourth quarter, but Southington and their quarterback, Jacob Drina, just really executed in the fourth quarter. Uh, 
he was hitting his receivers, Will Dowd, Jacob Flynn, um, you know, just really marching on the field. Defense stood up well. Uh, they have a D lineman or something from John Miller, who I was sitting in the press box, and I heard his name called, I think, every single play. I mean, <laughs> he finished with 23 tackles and a sack. Um, just a monster day. I think he, you know, people give the credit to the offense for making that comeback, but, you know, John Miller and that Southampton defense really, really helped slow down that New Britain run game. And, uh, you know, there was about a minute 30 left, and Drina just kind of drove down the field with receivers, and uh, Tanya Rosa scored from about four yards out with, I think, 30 seconds left to go ahead. And uh, it was really an amazing, amazing comeback on Southampton's part. And, you know, that was two, two 4-0 teams in Class Double L, and uh, you know, that's one of those games that's going to have major, major implications when it comes, you know, playoff time as far as seedings and standings and all that. So yep. uh, that was, you know, I think, one of the biggest games of the season in the entire state so far, and uh, something can won just an amazing comeback. Yeah, no question. Uh, certainly one that, uh, as you say, is going to uh, to impact the way things are going uh, going forward. What about sort of looking forward? I'm just curious, uh, you know, what you've kind of got your eyes on. Um, obviously, you know, we're like I said, about halfway through the season. What uh, what are some teams or games that you're kind of uh, circling as maybe future ones that uh, that could be that kind of uh, big impact sorts of games going forward if you've gotten that far? Yeah, I think uh, in week eight, I think we have East Hartford and Southington, which is another class double L matchup. I think if things go well, I think both teams should be undefeated heading into that game. Another game that's going to have major playoff implications. But uh, another one is Ireland versus Bloomfield. That's two teams who are just putting up an insane amount of points this season. Mm-hmm. Um, I think Bloomfield outscoring its opponent something like 213 to 13 this season, something that's absolutely ridiculous. And Berlin's not that far behind. You know, both teams have great quarterbacks, and Darren Bryden and Kevin Dunn, um, some great skill position players around them. So I think that's, you know, those two teams, you know, a winner or a loss to both of them is going to make a huge difference. I think we're going to see some big points put up in that game. Yeah. Um, but, you know, it, it, it's tough to tell right now, I think. It's still, I know we're halfway through the season, but, uh, you know, there's just every team looks so good right now is, is the only way to say, you know, Southington looks great. East Hartford looks great. Uh, New Britain looks great and then lost to Southington, but they still played great in that game. I think as we get into these final five, five weeks or so heading into the playoffs, you know, we're really going to see who can stand out from these groups of top teams in all classes. You know, in M there's Berlin, but you know, obviously there's St. Joseph down south too. So it's just, uh, mm-hmm. it's going to be a fun, you know, final month or so of the regular season as teams kind of, we kind of see who is real and who is not real, I guess. I think it's, uh, it might even be too early to tell just five weeks in. Yeah, no question. Still a lot of, uh, a lot of games, and as you say, you know, it, uh, this is high school sports, so a team can look uh, unbeatable one week, and then uh, things just kind of don't work for them uh, uh, on a given week. So we'll uh, be curious to, to track all that going forward. So I just wanted to uh, – we've done sort of a little bit of, uh, you know, specifics. So I wanted to just get a little general and maybe – Folks would be curious. Folks who have been uh, been reading your work here, as uh, as you said, you joined the current uh, last spring. I think just in time to cover some uh, some CIC track championships, if I remember correctly. But yep, just kind of yep. curious what the uh, what the experience is like for you. You know, coming to a new uh, a new beat, a new area. Uh, you know, where you're maybe not as familiar with the schools and not as familiar with some of the the history or whatever it might be. What's that process like of, of sort of you know, trying to acclimate yourself and, and get ready to cover, obviously, a, a big high school football season uh, where, you know, it's certainly something that's going to get a lot of attention, um, 
you know, from fans, and, and it's certainly thing something that uh, a lot of people are passionate about. So I'm just kind of curious, what's that what's that experience like, and, and how do you kind of go about trying to get ready to, to cover a, a sport or, or many sports in an area where you're not familiar? Yeah, it's, it's definitely tough. Um, you know, I think it helps that I've been covering high school sports in Massachusetts for about four years now for uh, the Boston Globe and Mass Live. So I had, you know... I understood the basics of covering high school sports, you know, regardless of what state you're in. So that definitely helped, but it was just a lot of research, a lot of talking to coaches and ADs and players and other writers and kind of just keeping, keeping your ears open. I mean, I have friends who played high school sports in Connecticut. So I was, I've been talking to them just saying, hey, you know, is this team good? Is this team always been good? You know, what's this team like? I've been, you know, nagging their ears off and stuff like that, <laughs> just trying to get, you know, get a feel for it, but it's been a lot of research, um, a lot of reading back old stories, looking through, you know, you know, playoff and tournament rackets from five, ten years ago to kind of get a feel for, okay, you know, Team X and Team Y are always in the tournament. That's the team to watch. You know, yeah. it's a lot of, a lot of historical research, but, you know, I thank the coaches a lot, too. Um, they've been great so far. Um, you know, they're always able to pick up my call, answer my text, you know, meet with me whenever, and they've been a huge part of getting me acclimated to the area to, you know, I mean, high school football right now, but I'll be covering basketball in a month or two, and it's going to be a whole new thing of, you yeah. know, finding those coaches you trust and, you know, making sure that you can go to them whenever you need something. And they've been great as far as, you know, you know, hey, you know, watch out for this team. They're always good. Or watch out for this kid. And I think he can be a real, a real you know, breakout player this year. And, they, and they've been great on that end. Uh I got to thank my editors here at the current too. They've been awesome as far as educating me on, you know, big games that have happened in the past or players or just trends that seem to happen in you know the Connecticut sports universe. But uh, yeah, I mean, it's, it's been great so far. Um, and the one thing I will say, I think it's you know it's very organized, um, which is always tough in high school sports to be organized. But I think that's one of the things that really stood out to me is how organized you know. Coaches are, ads are, even players. You know, it's easy. It's easy to find stats. It's easy to find records or historical facts and figures, and that's that's one thing that's made my life, you know, miles easier than it it could be. Yeah. Well, we're certainly uh, glad to see that to hear that that uh, that it's has uh, been as easy maybe as possible as as that process could be, and uh, we're certainly appreciating all the good work. And uh, as always, the current is a great source of information uh, on the high school sports beats with uh, a lot of good writers. So, Sean, we we really appreciate it. Uh, enjoying your work so far, and and best of luck uh, getting through the the first high school football season. We'll look forward to uh, all the things you're going to produce here in the. Uh, during the, the second half of the season and into your first uh, postseason. So we really appreciate it, and, uh, and thanks very much for joining us. Great. Thanks, Joel. Appreciate it. Thanks for having me on. Thanks so much to Sean. Really enjoyed that conversation and uh, excited to see uh, what he's bringing to the Hartford Current. They've done a nice job there. Uh, always uh, certainly one of the you know the leaders in Connecticut and covering high school sports and, and continuing to do a great job. Got some new faces there, some old faces, some familiar faces, some new faces, but uh, they're doing a wonderful job, and Sean has, has really done a nice job covering that football beat uh, through the fall. So uh, keep a tabs on what he's doing. Check out all his great work. Check out Dan Nowak's great work for Game Time CT and the New Haven Register in the sport of field hockey and uh, beyond going forward. And a thanks to uh, Dr. Mattern once again for joining us to uh, to have those sorts of uh, interesting and, and deep uh, conversations on some important topics. So thanks to all of our guests. Once again, you can uh, subscribe to the CIAC cast. Check us out on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, 
Find us on CIACsports.com. Go to CIACmobile.com on your mobile device. You uh, can get the podcast all of those places. We would love it if you would subscribe. Rate us. Leave us a review on Apple Podcast if that's where you choose to get your podcasts. And uh, we, we hope you'll continue to listen. We, uh, we enjoy it. We're moving up on episode 100 here, coming up uh, probably by the end of the fall. I think we will uh, reach that 100-episode plateau. So hopefully you've been along with the ride for us for a while. If not, we hope you're uh, joining us now and, uh, and hearing uh, some things that you think are worthwhile. So really enjoyed our conversations this week. Again, check out CIACsports.com, tournamentcentral.ciacsports.com for up-to-date information from the CIAC, uh, as they said, winter schedules are uh, are posted. If you want to start looking ahead, you're uh, you're done with the fall already. I can't believe that would be the case, but we're moving in on uh, those fall championship seasons. But if you uh, want to move ahead to the winter, those schedules are posted. Uh, if you want to get into the fall stuff, it's all there as well. And of course, follow us uh, our various social media platforms at CIAC Sports on Twitter at CIAC Sports on Instagram, facebook.com slash CIAC Sports. You can also email the uh, the CIAC cast. I don't think I gave that email address earlier on. It's just CIAC cast at C-A-S-C-I-A-C dot O-R-G. So CIAC cast, there are a bunch of C's in there, at C-A-S-C-I-A-C dot O-R-G. Once again, I'm Joel Cookson. We thank you very much for listening. Hope you enjoyed the conversations this week. Hope you will enjoy them when we return for another edition of the CIAC cast.